Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. George Weigel joins us again today to discuss a new collection of writings uh, by someone else, not by him, uh, that he has edited and introduced with the title Jesuit at Large, Essays and Reviews by Paul Mankowski. That is our topic today. Welcome again, George. Thanks, Mark. Good to be with you. Uh, First, let me ask a personal question before we get to the content of Father Mankowski's thought. Can you tell us how you first encountered uh, both him and his works? Paul Mankowski and I met uh, sometime in the late 1980s or early 1990s. I I can't remember exactly how we met. I I Mm -hmm. suspect we met through uh, the auspices of our uh, favorite journal, First Things, mm-hmm. uh, we quickly became very close friends. I saw him frequently in Rome uh, when he was teaching at the Pontifical Biblical Institute, and I was working on the biography of John Paul II. Uh, we stayed in touch, uh, really, on a regular basis uh, until his untimely death uh, a year ago, and... Um, when he died so suddenly at a very early age, um, I thought I owed it to him as a friend to uh, bring his uh, some of his work, some of his more important uh, essays and reviews uh, to uh, attention, to people's attention. Uh, a lot of those were originally published in First Things, as you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but magazine essays and reviews tend to have a short uh, lifespan. Yeah. And these things are really worth preserving, uh, they both are. for substance and literary style. So, so George, this, act, this volume actually came at your initiative. Yeah, I called uh, a few days after uh, Father Mankowski died. I called my uh, friend Mark Brumley at Ignatius Press, with whom I'd worked on number of projects uh, before, and I said, I really think we need to do a Mankowski anthology, and I would be willing to uh, put it together. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, agreed, and uh, it was a labor of love. Um, it was also something to help keep me busy during the pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, which I was grateful to have the opportunity to do, although I didn't anticipate having this particular opportunity. We could have used a lot more a lot uh, more years uh, from from Paul Mankowski, who really was yeah. one of the most brilliant and insightful um, observers, not only of the Catholic scene, but of the general cultural scene. 
yeah. uh, in the world that I have ever met. He's also one of the funniest people I've ever met. Hmm. You, you, so, something about his person, you say in your introduction that he was a figure of, quote, ig- a genuine Ignatian asceticism. Uh, what do you mean by that? Uh, Ignatius uh, founded the Society of Jesus, as I understand it, as uh, a kind of elite core of intellectual uh, special operations people who would uh, go about converting the culture, uh, both by the power of argument and the power of personal witness. Um, uh, he, Ignatius took the uh, three uh, evangelical councils, poverty, chastity, and obedience, very seriously. Uh, Paul Mankowski took them very seriously. And he took the vow of poverty uh, perhaps more seriously than anyone I have ever met outside the missionaries of charity of of Mother Teresa. Mm -hmm. Um, He was, as I indicate in the book, in my introduction, a scholar without a library. He thought going to public libraries or university libraries was fine, so he gave away all the books that he was given or asked to review. Uh, If you would go out to a meal with him. Uh, he would offer to help if you declined. He would then uh, quietly take what would have been his part of the check and write a check to the missionaries of charity. Hmm. When he finally made his final vows, as often happens on these cases, uh, in these cases, uh, people gave him monetary gifts. He handed them all over to a crisis pregnancy center in Chicago. Um, the, I'm sure the emergency medical uh, personnel who ripped open his clerical shirt uh, on the day he died, thinking he had suffered a heart attack, uh, turned out to have been a cerebral, burst cerebral a- aneurysm. But in any event, they didn't have any trouble ripping the shirt because it was probably threadbare. <laughs> um, so he, uh, he lived the life of the evangelical councils with... Uh, with great rigor, but also with great joy. Paul Mankowski was was fundamentally a happy person, uh, despite the fact that he was uh, a sign of contradiction within his own religious community, uh, and despite the fact that um, uh, he lived in what he regarded, not without reason, as very troubling times uh, in the Church and in the world. Yeah. Uh, but uh, like someone he admired uh, deeply, uh, Pope Benedict XVI, he was fundamentally a happy person. You mention his, uh, his working-class Catholicism childhood. How, uh, how do you think that shaped his, his adult thinking, perhaps his asceticism, too? In addition to giving him a great respect for um, people who uh, did not have as much education as he had, uh, perhaps did not have as much raw ability as he had, uh, it gave him a great, uh, I'll use the polite term, baloney detector. Uh, (laughs) Paul Mankowski could smell uh, baloney. 
uh, a mile away, and he was pretty ruthless in in criticizing it. I mean, the ruthlessness had a often had a twinkle in the eye edge to it, uh, but he really could not abide uh, snobbery, uh, hypocrisy, falsehood. I think the honesty, it's somewhat like John Paul II and his experience working in a, in a quarry busting rocks or in a chemical factory during the Second World War. The straightforward honesty of working class people left a great impression on, on John Paul II, uh, and it did on Paul Mankowski. So he never forgot uh, the roots from which he came. Uh, he was entirely happy, this guy who had lived at the highest altitudes of international academic life, to go hunting and fishing with his father uh, until his, his dad died. Uh, he never thought of himself as anything other than a, a son of South Bend, Indiana, and not the Notre Dame part of South Bend, Indiana, hmm. but, if you will, the Studebaker part of South Bend, Indiana, or the Bendix part of South Bend, Indiana. And um, uh, while he was entirely comfortable in um, more elevated social circles, if you will, uh, he never looked down on uh, those from whom he came. And that's very admirable, I think. Uh, It's very uh, admirable. It's probably even more so given that, as you put it, uh, the man was, quote, off the charts brilliant. And I, I have another friend, David Oakley, who, who, who said to me uh, as I was talking with him about the book, he, he said, oh, Mankowski, he, he, had a, he had an ear for languages. He was a genius for, for different languages. Is that part of the brilliance you would, uh, you would single out? It, it really was. Uh, when Paul was assigned to the Pontifical Biblical Institute in Rome to teach, uh, to teach Hebrew and uh, other subjects there, he didn't know a whole lot of Italian. Uh, he learned enough Italian in three or four months to start lecturing in Italian <laughs> immediately. Um, he had... Uh, remarkable skills in in ancient Semitic languages. Um, He, of course, knew Latin and Greek inside and out. Uh, He had been a classics uh, major at the University of Chicago as an an undergraduate. Um, uh, He did have the gift of tongues, and, um, and yet he was a scintillating prose stylist in his native English. A lot of people who you know, speak multiple languages well are not necessarily graceful writers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul was a very graceful writer. He did not need a lot of editing. Um, and uh, I think he may have been the smartest person I ever met. I, hmm. I uh, Just in terms of raw um, intellectual capacity. I mean, I've had the privilege of knowing lots of very, very smart people, and I would certainly put him in the top tier, and I wouldn't be embarrassed to put him in the, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be embarrassed to have him batting lead off in that lineup. Yeah. He, 
I, I did note in these essays that the prose style itself, it is brisk, precise, sharp, direct, and also fluent and witty. I, 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 I mean, I, I, I'd hold him up actually as a prose model for my students uh, because it's, it's, it's so, the prose is, it's sophisticated, but it's so clear. It's it's transparent. It's like a window, a very clean window that you, that you're looking through. It's actually it's a joy to read uh, his his writing and the penetration that he shows, as you put it, as as a cultural analyst. For instance, in one of the essays, it's called "Voices of Wrath: When Words Become Weapons," and this is a phenomenon that we see more and more. Uh, words become become weapons. I mean, astonishingly acute, astute in describing how how demagogues abuse language. What I, I, I presume you agree with with with, with the discernment that I mean, we we need him today. Uh, would you? I mean, where where, do, where would you pinpoint that in intelligence coming from? Was was it was it his theological training? Was it Something else. I'm not sure I could pinpoint it, Mark. I, 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 in the introduction to the book, I, I note noted something he wrote in a one of the reviews in the book, which is of a biography of Evil and Law, mm-hmm. where he said that by the somewhere between his 15th and 17th birthdays, Evil and Law developed. I think I quote this accurately: an almost freakish capacity to write uh, English prose, hmm. uh, to the point where he, 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 it was literally impossible for him to write a boring sentence. And I think that's exactly true of Paul Mankowski. Now, when that happened, I don't know whether he had um, term paperitis at some point along the line, as we all did as an undergraduate. Uh, I have no idea, but when I first started reading him, he was a fully, and this is, I don't know, late 80s, early 90s, uh, it was a fully formed style. It was, uh, all the adjectives you used are, are accurate. I would also say it was energetic. There was an energy in his writing. Mm-hmm. It moves. That carried, that carried you along, carries you along. You want to know what's on the next page. And he knew exactly when to drop in a piece of wit or a dry observation or a droll observation to kind of give you a pause and then pick up the argument again. Yeah. Quite striking. It's it's the kind of sensibility that helps in an essay, for instance, what I saw at the American Academy of Religion. He decides to go to the convention of the uh, of, of the uh, the academics, the professors in religion departments. Uh, more recently, he looks back at old uh, paper titles, panel titles, and then he contrasts it with the new one. Uh, well, actually, what does Father Mankowski say he saw at that meeting? I, I'm happy that you brought that up, Mark, and I was determined to make that one of the essays in this collection. Uh, First Things just published its 340-something issue. Uh, Of all of that material, uh, I would put that essay as one of the 
top five articles for brilliance of analysis, style, uh, that First Things has ever published. Mm. Uh, I mean, it, it's an astonishingly good piece of work. Uh, it is a devastating demolition decades before the, woke, the word woke was invented of the wokeification, if you will, of the academic study of religion, yeah. its descent into really terminal silliness. I mean, some of this stuff, you, you, you really wonder whether the guy is he making this up. And then, of course, he's quoting from the, the convention catalog. Yeah. Um, uh, to the point where the editors of First Things had to put one of the few footnotes in the history of the journal explaining why they were leaving an F-bomb in <laughs> the <laughs> hallowed pages of First Things so you could get the full taste of the vulgarity yeah. on display at the American Academy of Religion. It's an utterly brilliant piece of work, and... Um, and yet it's 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 not mean. I mean, it's devastating, but it's not nasty. No, no, he he uh, it's it's just it's it's like it's like a doctor excising a malignant tumor. You know, you don't say the doctor is being mean to the tumor by doing this. You say he's cutting out something deadly here. Yeah. And that's what Paul was trying to do. But unfortunately, the AAR has gotten even worse since he wrote that. And what was that essay from? 1993, 1994, somewhere yeah, in there? Yeah, early. Uh, but it's, no, it's an astonishing piece of work. Um, did did and he. I was very glad that we have it in there. Sorry. George, George, did he have any any hope for academic religion or or, you know. Had the vandals taken over in his mind? I don't think so. Certainly no short-term hope. Um, not only had the vandals taken over, but the vandals uh, were hiring each other and therefore perpetuating the vandalism uh, to the nth uh, generation. Um, I, Paul was aware that there were corners of the academic world where a lot of serious stuff was going on. Mm -hmm. Um uh, he participated in that in a variety of ways. But uh, he knew that in the main, uh, the academic study of religion had become unfortunately parallel to the academic study of literature. Yeah. It had first been taken over by the Marxists, then by the gender theory people, and all of this simply reduced some of the great artifacts of, of Western civilization, the great accomplishments of Western civilization, uh, to dissected pieces of dead tissue on the, you know, on the morgue floor here. Uh, yeah. That was, I think, his criticism of a lot of biblical criticism as well. Yeah. That. Uh, the historical critical method, which had taught us many important things, had nonetheless become a kind of dissection process in which the Bible or the texts of the Bible were regarded as dead tissue to be dissected. And uh, 
that's really no way to get at the the enduring human meaning of of ancient texts if you simply reduce them to dead matter to be dissected. Let's pause for a moment to ask if you were looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry, as well as a campus in Rome, Italy all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. Uh, to turn to uh, another even more serious topic, uh, the essay, What Went Wrong?, which addresses, as he puts it, the crisis. What was Father Mankowski's angle, perspective, on the sex scandals? I think it was exactly the same as my own. I mean, Paul and I talked about this endlessly uh, over the years, uh, very intensely in 2002, uh, when the clerical sexual abuse scandal broke out in full force in the Catholic Church in the United States. I'm sure his um, reflection shaped my writing and the courage to be Catholic. I think we we both made the same analysis. This, This is what you get when there is a breakdown of doctrinal and moral clarity uh, in a religious community, when there, is a, when there are great defaults of leadership among responsible parties, people responsible for the formation of clergy, people responsible for the disciplining of clergy. Uh, Paul was very aware of how... Uh, Oh, you know, Paul VI uh, said in the late 1960s or early 1970s, the smoke of Satan has somehow entered into the church. Hmm. And uh, part of that smoke was was the smoke of the sexual revolution. Um, he was uh, ruthlessly honest in describing all of this. And I have to say he was more prescient than most about this. Hmm. I think Paul saw this coming. Uh, or at least the revelation of what had gone on uh, over a a certain period of time. And um, to the end of his life, he was calling for uh, stringent reform of clerical life. Um, uh, So more full marks to him for his prescience on that. Um, but he had he had the causation uh, right. Breakdown of authority, uh, breakdown of doctrinal and moral clarity, irresponsibility. Um, he perhaps gave a little less uh, weight than I would to um, the ways in which bishops and religious superiors were misled by psychologists and psychiatrists who told them, we can fix these guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, which bishops and religious superiors, uh, even the most uh, responsible of them, would like to believe. Yeah. You know, this is a Christian community, and we believe in, uh, 
in uh, uh, repentance and reformation. Uh, but in in the case of the most uh, outrageous predators, these were not people who could be fixed. No. And um, uh, this remains a, a real problem today, although I think we're getting a lot better at uh, figuring out who these people might be and, and addressing that, those problems uh, before these men are ordained. Yeah. Uh, on a lighter note, who are the Thames, T-A-M-E-S? Uh, it's actually, I mean, it's a funny term. But <laughs> it's it, his it's coinage, not right? All, it's, not, it's, it's not all that light. I mean, he's talking about um, uh, either gay or gay-sympathetic clergy who fly under the uh, radar screen uh, and who are, in, who were, in his view, uh, epidemic throughout the bureaucracies of, mm-hmm. of the church, uh, and who provided cover for more uh, aggressive and, and predatory uh, people. Um, uh, Paul Mankowski believed in a manly priesthood. Yeah. Uh, priests who were, as the Germans would say, menschlichkeit here. And he didn't have a whole lot of use for uh, softness. He had great compassion. He was a wonderful confessor and spiritual director. But he couldn't abide um, uh, this kind of, um, I, I would say, sophisticated softness. Yeah. That that was um, that he perceived to be a real problem. Um, in well, both religious life and and um, secular priesthood, diocesan priesthood. You know, I, I would recommend the that essay. It's called Tames in Clerical Life because, George, he goes on for pages really working up a very sophisticated, almost a personality profile, uh, examining this kind of figure as sort of a socio-psychological cultural type. And... I, I think the way he fleshes out the the kind of experience, the way they respond, a team responds to different situations, is it shows to me it shows the psychological insight of someone who spent many years, uh, you know, getting a psychology PhD, and or just maybe observing human behavior with extraordinary uh, cognitive empathy, not not necessarily moral empathy, but certainly understanding was what is going on inside the heads of of these people which uh he, he, there's an extraordinary talent there i want to get to uh one other thing in in our last few minutes george because there's a very important section of the book that i think has some historical importance as well that i'll let you describe it's it's the dossier that appears at the end of the book what is that um i decided to include in this book a uh, memorandum uh, that Father Mankowski had written uh, about uh, the career of Father Robert Drynan, uh, the New England Jesuit who served in Congress for many years, 
who was uh, a strong supporter of so-called abortion rights, uh, which was a scandal to many in the church. Um, and uh, the uh, revelation of how Drynan had gotten to Congress and stayed in Congress with with Jesuit religious superiors deceiving the general of the Jesuits, Father Arupe, about what was going on here uh, is a very, very uh, sad uh, tale. But it was, uh, since Paul's role in exposing all of this uh, has been seriously misrepresented by uh, fellow Jesuits, even to this day, I thought it was an obligation of friendship to publish his side of the story, uh, which I think is fully documented. And it's also a contribution to a crucial moment in American Catholic history. Mm -hmm. There would be no Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi without Robert Drinan. Really? And I don't think so. I think Drinan cleared a lot of the ground for these uh, uh, pro-abortion Catholic politicians today. So I think uh, I thought it was important to uh, publish this. Uh, Paul had um, sent this memorandum to several friends, of whom I was one, uh, immediately after his death, or within weeks after his death. Several of those friends sent it to me, uh, saying, "We hope, uh, we wonder whether you've seen this." I, I had seen it uh, years before. Um, so I thought for the sake of um, clearing uh, Father Mankowski's uh, reputation, which had been besmirched by some falsehoods told about his role in this affair, uh, and for the sake of uh, uh, U.S. Catholic history going forward, uh, I thought it was uh, important to publish this. So it's the one thing in the book that had that and that in my introduction that, that hasn't been published before. And, and just to be clear, Manka uh, Father Mankowski composed this. He put all this together while the affair was unfolding. He, he, he wrote this back in the 70s, or was it no, well no, after the it, fact he that he— the, No, no, he put, the, he put this memorandum together in— uh, long after this was over okay. uh, as a way to try to uh, um, put a very complicated business into um, comprehensible form. Uh, and I hope it helps um, the process of reform mm. uh, within the Church. I would recommend it to readers because it's quite simply an astonishing story and the characters who come in and out, and the, and the statements back and forth uh, that, that appears. It's a very compelling uh, history, and I hope, I hope people read it. Uh, anyway, the book is Jesuit at Large, Essays and Reviews by Paul Mankowski, uh, George Weigel with the Ethics and Public Policy Center. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mark. Good to be with you. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.